0: For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike, and I serve as the college and outreach pastor here at Maranatha Bible Church. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of 3 John. The book of 3rd John, it's right towards the back. Uh, if you hit a book called Revelation, you went too far. If you're in 1 John, keep going, you're not far enough. But um, what I want you to think about is when you had some significant times in your life. Whether it was when you were younger or maybe recently, there's been times or seasons that have really been significant for you and have caused you to remember things. Um, When you feel something very strong, it always will cause you to remember something. And uh, I had started out on my significant career uh, when I was in kindergarten. Um, it was when I had kissed my first girlfriend, not that career, but I did. Her name was Caitlin, right by the swing set, not part of the story. Anyway, field uh, kindergarten, I kissed my first girlfriend in kindergarten, and I got sent to the principal's office. And so when I had gone to the principal's office, here's what happened. My mom and dad, uh, yeah, they're here, um, you know. And so when it, early in the morning, we would go off to school, and there was five of us. And so my oldest sister was a senior, and I was in kindergarten, and the way my mom would pack us lunches, they would kind of just be out on the brown paper bag, and you'd have to pick your items and put them in the bag. You know, you, you know there was all these types of healthy things, don't you worry moms, there was PB&J, there was yogurt, there was a banana, there was an apple probably, I don't know. But um, as a kindergartner, and with so many things happening in the morning, I, would, I had the authority to pack my own lunch. And so I was empowered. I had given this authority. So, you know, when I'm going to school, I'm excited, man. I'm grabbing what I need to grab. And the only two things I took, you want to know what I took? Kit Kat and cookies. And I thought I was ready to go, man. Like, I ready for the day. So we would go to lunch, go to school. My sister would drop me off. I'd go eat these Kit Kat and cookies. And it was about a week's time had gone by. And I remember the principal, she had walked in the lunchroom, and she said, Michael, come with me. And I remember this feeling of, like, Like, you're walking by your buddy, you're like, yeah, I got to go to the principal's office. But then, like, I get out in the hallway, and I'm like, what did I do? And I walk in to the principal's office, and my mom is in there. And they have this food chart out on the, the table. And they begin to mentor or, you know, give my mom this wisdom because Mrs. Duma, I know you guys own Duma Meats, but your son has been eating Kit Kats and cookies don't you know what a nutritious meal is? And my mom is mortified, you know, like, I'm, I'm in kindergarten. I'm six years old. And so I remember crying, just sobbing as a six-year-old. I just remember, oh, my gosh, I do not want to feel that way again. I don't ever want to feel that way again. I don't want to go through that as, you know, and I was in the principal's office pretty regularly growing up. But fast forward uh, to when I believe I was 11, started playing football for the Mogador Wildcats. Yeah, go Cats. Super excited. And uh, I was going to practice. And again, Lord bless my mom and dad. We had five of us. I mean, I got one kid, and I'm like, shoot, man, what are we going to do? We can't do nothing. So we had five, and we're all running around, and it's like, you know, sports and school events and working and this and that. And uh, it was after one of the practices, um, coach starts to leave, and everyone's kind of, you know, leaving. And, hey, Mike, Duma, your mom or someone coming? Yeah, yeah. They'll be here, they'll be here, yep, yep. You know, and then another couple minutes pass by, and the older kids start leaving. Hey, you got to ride home? Yeah, 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 I got to ride. Don't worry about it, man. They're coming, they're coming. And uh, long story short, nobody showed up. And I remember Clear's Day uh, laying on the bleachers, and I'm like 10 or 11, so I mean, it's dramatic. It probably felt like two hours. It's getting dark, it's raining. I remember sobbing on the bleachers. Just throwing this pity party. They forgot about me. And my friend Zach Heigelman was literally a stone's throw away. Stone's throw. Stone's throw away. I could have walked over there. Hey, man, can I use your phone? He's my friend. But, oh, they forgot about me. And lo and behold, my brother Dave come, you know, jump the hill with the Golden Cavalier flying down. And he's just laughing at me. And I'm like, bro, you know, I'm just crying. (laughs) I remember I didn't want to feel that way ever again. Fast forward. One last story. I was in high school, junior year. I was playing for Magador, and we were up by one. And we were playing against Lake Center, my old school. My old buddies are on the team, and we're up by one. Ten seconds left. I mean, if you know me or my personality, I look at the guy throwing in the ball. I said, you get me the ball. I get the ball. I get fouled. I go up to the free throw line. Dribble. Dribble, 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 shoot, shoot. Ten of you got that. Dribble, dribble. I spin. I dribble again. I look at it, three seconds left on the clock. We're up by one. I gotta make it to tie the sucker, or I gotta sink two of them and we can go home. Dribble, dribble, catch. I bricked it. And then this guy, Austin Troyer, runs down behind his legs, eyes closed, through the thing, throws it like this, sunk it. And we lost. I remember I never wanted to feel that way ever again. There are certain experiences in your life that cause you to remember a feeling that you had. And we're going to talk this morning in the book of 3 John about how there's always room. There's always room. And the way that this book is written is written about, it's a twofold story or, or letter about how you. there's always room for you because God has always made room for you. And so we're going to talk about how the church can do something or what the church could be better at um, and really maybe something you've experienced that has caused you to feel a certain way about church in general. And we're going to talk about this big word called hospitality. Oh, man, hospitality. And when I say that word, there's things that pop into your mind. You think of someone, maybe your grandma, man, she was a good cook, she had hospitality, or, man, maybe your parents or maybe a friend, um, and you think of a good meal, or you think of something that you've experienced. But I'm going to define this word as how we make someone feel when they're around us. It says in Romans 12:13, if you'd pull it up for me, Romans 12:13, it says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And I'm just, and there's a lot of ways to define hospitality, but I'm defining it as how we make someone feel when they're around us. How we approach someone and how they approach us and what we can do about that. Um, all of us have ideas of what hospitality is. I'll just come out of the gate. I am not the hospitality guy. Um, some of you in this room, you know, um, when you're at my house, there's someone in this room that knows when we have our small group and people come over, when I shut off the light and people are still in the room, that is a big red sign, hey, I'm shutting this thing down. And my wife will be like, what are you doing? I'm like, just Dog, they saving electricity, whatever. So there are certain people, you and your spouse maybe differ on hospitality. I'll never forget uh, this totally different story. I don't know if it's relevant. But uh, the first time we had people over to our apartment, uh, I'm not a fixer-upper kind of guy. I've never hung a, a picture in my life. I've tried it a few times. But one of the times, my wife wanted me to put this shelf underneath the TV. Pretty, pretty easy. Hey, drill these things in, you know, level all these things. I remember I put it in, and it was slanted like this. And she was like, hey, you can't leave that like that. I was like, what do you mean? I set the DVD player up. I was like, that thing ain't going, was it was marble? It ain't going off the thing. And she was like, oh, my gosh, you don't understand. Like, when people come in and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, you know someone who has hospitality or how they have made you feel when you're present. And a lot of us, it's hard for us to pinpoint, but we can remember how that person has made us feel. When we're present. And so in the book of 3 John, we're gonna walk through this and we're gonna look at how really it is John's heart for one of these individuals, but really God's heart for us as a church and how we would be towards others. So in 3 John, if you would look at me in, uh, at verse 1, God's heart for you is it to be well with your soul. Verse 1 says this The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So this guy, Gaius, in in Romans 16, 23, it says this, that Gaius whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy. This guy, Gaius, is really just a G. Like he is a, he's known for his hospitality, he's known for his reputation, is that people enjoy being around him. If you could go back to the slide, verses 1 to 4 for me, that would be great. Um, it is that it would be well with your soul, and here's what Gaius does. He's a guy that extends welcoming invitation to people who are traveling house to house and spreading the gospel. And here's what John prays for Gaius, and I believe a prayer for each each of one of us is relevant. He prays for good health. He prays for good health. What do most of us want more than good health? You would pray that you would feel well. Why? Because when you do not feel well or you do not have good health, you cannot give what you do not have. Is that not right? That you would have good health. He says, I pray that you are doing God's work, that you would live long, that you would have good health. And what else does he pray? That it would go well with your soul. Which begs the question, how is your soul? Amen. Jesus prayed in, or he didn't pray, Jesus said in Matthew sixteen twenty six. What will it profit the man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his what? Soul. That your soul is a part of you. And here's what is also prevalent about when we talk about hospitality and how we make people feel and how God invites you in. It is super important for you to realize you cannot give what you do not have. That if you do not, if your soul is not well, you are not able to extend a soul welcoming environment. Because why? You're constantly thinking about what you're going through. It is God's heart for Gaius and it is God's heart for you and I that it would be well with your soul. And then he says this, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. He's talking about his spiritual children, people he's led to Christ and they're walking in the truth, they're doing what is right right before them. It says in John 1.12, and Adam had referenced it when he was, before we had sang the last song, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. One thing I know about parents is this. You might not be doing well. You might not be feeling good. You might not. Your soul might be burdened, but if your kids are okay, what? When your kids are walking in the truth, your actual kids, it brings joy. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. I have one daughter. She's six months old. Um, my expectation of her is literally what? That she poops on us all the time. That she would cry, that she would wake us up. I mean, man, I'm freaking out on Instagram. She's got a tooth. She hasn't done nothing. she got a little baby tooth. But what am I excited about? That she's mine. My expectation of her is super low. I'm not asking for a D1 scholarship. I'm not asking for an early retirement. I'm not asking that she would, you know, uphold the Duma name. No. What am I excited about? She's mine. That she's my child. And I would bet that God feels the same way about you. Some of you, your soul is exhausted because you are on this. You're trying to perform for God constantly and you're trying to work in a way where he would feel better about you and he would be happier with you. When in reality, some of us just need to sit and say, I'm a child of God. I've received him and I've believed in his name. God's heart for you and for me is that it would be well with your soul. Number two, God's heart for you is to be faithful and present says this, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. What this guy, Gaius, is doing, he's kind of the hero of the story. Back in this time, this day and age, there would be missionaries or people who would spread the gospel. You've got to remember, they don't have a Bible. They're kind of just going house to house. And when they would get somewhere, if you would receive someone, if you'd give them a meal, if you would maybe clean their clothes, you'd get them, they'd get re-energized and then they'd go back out. He's saying, you have been faithful. With who is in front of you, and this is what I find interesting: strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers with their truth. I like the NIV translation actually better. In uh, Third John one eight, it says this. It says, we ought to therefore show hospitality to people so that we may work together. We showed that video a little bit ago when we started out the service about Steve Larson. When you uh, support this church and then we in turn support missionaries, you actually go in turn with them. It says in Philippians chapter four, the passage I read when we started out, it said, I, Paul said, I don't seek the fruit to my credit, but really to your credit. That when we support people who are spreading the gospel you actually are going with them and you are blessed by what they're doing that's what he's teaching be faithful and be present now i think a way of application for this and i'll be honest one of the hardest things for me is to be present if any of you would know me just to be where you are and i know for some of us you might be asking yourself the question all right well what does that look like for me day to day what does that look like for me to be faithful and present here's the guy's principle that we can share. in, he says this, whatever I have is from God and available for his work. Whatever I have is from God. God, I have nothing unless you give it to me. And everything I have, I'm like this. It's available, God. I pray you'd put someone in my path. It's the Gaius principle. It's available for his work. A way we show hospitality, a lot of us always think the first thing in our mind is it's a meal, it's having someone over. I think it is way beyond that. I think it is, God, whatever resources you've given me, help me to extend a welcoming environment where I go and where you would have me be. I like it when it says in uh, verse 5, it says, strangers as they are. Strangers. Hebrews 13.2 says this. It says, if you'd pull it up for me, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Why? For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And I know it says without knowing it, but i got to share this story. It was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, sorry. It was on a Wednesday, um, and we were having our college group that night. And we had randomly found a location for us to meet on Sunday. I got it out to our students. We headed out there. And um, during that day, I was listening to this podcast, and probably for 90 minutes, this guy went on about Psalm 91, Psalm 91, bringing up Psalm 91, Psalm 91, Psalm 91, Psalm 91. I get home, and I'm getting ready to go, and I take my Bible. Uh, I was like, man, Psalm 91, that must be God. Like, I read it, Psalm 91, refuge, nothing. I remember leaving my house saying, ah, that didn't do much for me. I get to uh, this location. We're about an hour and a half early, and these two guys walk in, and they got their Bible under uh, their, you know, they got these big study Bibles and stuff. They walk up, and he said, hey, my name's Gabriel Michael. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he said, my, my name is Caleb and Brandon. And he said, hey, my name's Caleb. My favorite passage is Psalm 91. Where are you from, man? And I said, why is it Psalm 91? He's like, oh, Psalm 91 is just so good, so good. I was like, yeah, it's great, man. And so I'm, in, I'm already, like, weirded out by these guys. Where are you guys from? We're from nowhere. Okay, that's weird. Uh, And then, if you know me, I I didn't take that answer. I was like, no, 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 where where are you from, man? Come on, tell me. He said, well, I'm from Florida, and I'm from Canton, and we hooked up, we met each other, we just kind of travel around. Okay, uh, I said, where do you go to church? Ah, man, nowhere, man. And they just kept saying, Mike, we're just here to encourage you tonight. We're here to encourage you. And I was like, I was like, I don't know, but that's it. Like, I remember telling a few of our students, I was like, bro, go meet the angels. And, um. As we were, uh, as we were, and I, I know it says without knowing it, but I felt like I, I could tell. And I was so encouraged. Literally, the, every time I would ask them a question, they were like, "They were like, bro, we're just here to encourage you. I was like, sweet, I'm encouraged. And uh, I was getting ready to, to start. We were, they were an hour early. Randomly found out where we were. They drove here. Kristen Sop had given them an address. They drove all the way out there. They found out from someone at Chipotle who told them, who told them, who told them, who, told them, who come. You know, crazy story. And uh, I'm about to speak, and they were like, hey, Mike, we want to let you know someone uh, is coming who has the sin that leads to death. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we covered the sin that leads to death. That day I was studying First John 5.16, the sin that leads to death. And at that point I'm like, bro, just just tell Jesus I said hi. Like, just let him know. <laughs> and I was like, you mean, like, First John 5.16? They're like, we're glad you know your Bible. I was like, what was you you know, golden sticker? What's that mean? Like, um. And I get done speaking, I get off, and they pulled me aside, and I mean, what they said to me after that was, like, I had been praying about it, like, that day, seeking God, like, asking for something, and what they said was just knocked me on my butt, literally, and I was like, I mean, I don't know what else to say. And, here, and then after that, they'd walked around, they're sharing God's word with people, and then afterwards, everyone went to Swenson's, they're going car to car, sharing about their faith, and then uh, there's a drunk guy on the street, they go and pull the drunk guy off the street, they pray for him, and then they dip. I ain't seen these suckers yet, until they show up, in my mind, they're angels, but here's what I will say, I have no idea, I have no idea, but I will say this, I'll never forget how it made me feel, I felt encouraged, I really did, I felt welcomed, I was like, man, this is, it just really encouraged my walk with Christ. It really did. And I thought in my head, man, if I showed up random somewhere, am I so faithful and and am I so present to where that's what my presence brings? Would people just say, man, it was just, just changed the way I felt. It was hospitable. It was encouraging. So for us to be faithful and present, I couldn't think of a better illustration to just say, God, who do you have in front of me today? And how can I be Jesus, not to everyone, but to someone? Would you help me to be faithful and present? Number three, he brings up God's heart for you is to avoid certain people. And this might be your favorite one, um, but what you're like, yeah. Um, he says this I have written something to the church. I wouldn't name your kid this, but diastrophes, that's what the U Version Bible app says, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So they have these house churches set up, right? Kind of like small groups. There's one of these, this dude, Diostrophes, whatever his name is, he will not accept people in who are missionaries, who are walking in the truth, and he's not doing what God would want him to do. What's he doing? He's putting himself first, and so when he's doing this, he's kicking people out. He won't accept people walking in the truth. He's making it all about himself. And there are three lessons that I think we learn from this principle here. Number one, lesson number one: If you're first in your life, God can never be Diostrophes, who likes to put himself first. If you're first in your life, God can never be. And I think when we think about being hospitable. If you seek to make other people feel better or seek to be hospitable, it can't be about you. Um, I know a few people with the gift of hospitality. Uh, my wife is one of them. And it really is, I mean, it brings joy to her heart when, like, the chip bowl is empty. I don't know. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I know that feeling. Like, and I'm like, yeah, they ate them. I'm like, what's up? Yeah, the burgers are gone. I don't know. Like, it makes, it's about other people, it makes them feel welcomed, like every little detail matters, I mean, and it could be here at church, and the reason I brought up in the beginning things, how they make you feel is, some of you remember that church has made you feel a certain way, and because of that, you have decided that, you know what, it's really not for me. I tried opening up in a small group one time, and I'll never forget. I told them not to say anything. They said it's safe here. Someone who was not hospitable to you now results in you refusing to be hospitable to anyone. And because God has been hospitable to us, so we must be to others. If God is not first in your life, or if you are first in your life, God can never be. Number two, not every opportunity is from God. This guy diastrophes, People are going to his house, going to his door. He won't accept them in. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 9, it says, Paul says, God has given me an open door for ministry, even though there are many adversaries. And the reason I say that not every opportunity is from God is because some people in your life that you feel like they're present, you need to avoid them with all energy, cost, resources you have. Why? Number three, because the people who suck the life out of you should have no room in your life. And I know there's wisdom here. There's a balance to this that the people you have in your life, you may say, well, man, that's my brother. We live together. I mean, what am I going to do? Like, kick him out or am I supposed to move out? There's a balance here to this. But I would say this. If there's someone in your life who sucks the life out of you, ruins your walk with Christ, drains you, Proverbs 13, 20 says, he who walks with the fools, what? Becomes a fool. He who walks with the wise becomes wise. And if they had the opportunity in this time, he's telling them, avoid this guy. Because this guy is going to drain you. He's all about himself. He's not about the truth. He's not about the gospel. He's really just about his fame and his name. And if you know someone in your life that they're so absorbed with themselves that it's exhausting you, You're better just to avoid the relationship all in all. And if you are that person, there might be a situation where you would say, man, that's sometimes me. You need to ask yourself the question, how do I make it about them? If someone's avoiding me because I'm constantly talking about myself or my issues, I'm not seeking to be welcoming to them. God, would you give me eyes to see? The fourth thing, God's heart for you is to do good in his name says this, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, again, I think that's how you say it, has received a good testimony. Now notice this, a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So what is a testimony? What is it? It is simply your reputation is what he's getting at. He's saying, don't imitate evil, so don't be like that other guy, uh, Diostrophes, whatever his name is. Don't be like people like that. You be like Demetrius, who has a good testimony. So John brings up Gaius, be like him. Pray for good health. Pray for your soul. He's faithful and present. Diostrophes, man, that guy, he's terrible. He's all about himself. He's all caught up in himself. And then he brings up, whoever does good is from God. Demetrius, man, I've heard about that guy. I think sometimes we get caught up in the idea that if you can't do good for everyone, you might as well not do good at all. Man, I don't have, I ain't got that kind of money, man. I ain't got those kind of friendships. I don't have that kind of influence. I'll just hope someone else does good. We get caught up in that when in reality I believe you don't have to be Jesus for everybody, but you should try to be for somebody. And when he brings up testimony, like I brought about earlier, he's not asking that you would be perfect. He's not asking that you would be the best of the best, but he's asking that you would give effort. Help me just be faithful. The guy is principle. Whatever I have is from God and available for his work. God, would you open my eyes to see that? Jesus said in Mark 9, this is one of my favorite passages, he said this. Jesus said to him, teacher, or John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. got that name, they're this denomination, they're this name, and this one, and this one, I know you people, I know how we think, you drive by, they're like, oh man, and this is what Jesus says, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Last week in 2 John 12, it talks about how you should watch yourselves and not lose what you have worked for. You can't lose your salvation because salvation does not depend on you, but you can lose your rewards. Second John verse 8, don't lose what you've worked for when you do something for God. If you do it for yourself, guess what you get in the end? you do it for God, guess what you get in the end? You get God. That if you, do, if you do something for Christ and you do it with a pure motive and you do it for his name and his glory, the Bible is very clear, we get rewards for what we do. There's five different, I'm not going to get into that today, but there's five different crowns you can receive and when you receive them and you face God, you give them back to him as a symbol of the work and service you've done for him. If I do things for myself, that's what I get in the end. If I do things for God, that's what I get in the end. But only you can discern that. No one can see the heart. It says in 1 Corinthians 3 that at the end of our day, our works and what we have done for Christ will be put on this this pedestal in a sense. And it will be burned with fire. And some of the stuff, man, it's going to burn up like newspaper. And when it burns up like newspaper, nothing's there to show for it. It says you will be saved but only as through fire. And then there's another kind where it says it's 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 gold, it's silver, it's bronze. It's something that lasts. Don't lose what you have worked for. And when you do work for God, just make it about him. I had a, a pull-up 2 Corinthians 4.18. I had it a little bit earlier. 2 Corinthians 4.18. I think that this has a lot to do with our motive behind doing things. It says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is what? Eternal. God, would you help us to do good in your name? Would you help us to do things for your glory and what you have in front of us? God, whatever I have is from you and available for what you want it to be. And number five, God's heart for you is that you would have a personal encounter. I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I don't want to send a text. I don't want to send an email. Shoot, man, I don't want to have a phone call. I'm sick of the FaceTime. Another Zoom meeting, I'm going to blow up my, you know what I mean? I'm, you bring this stuff up. He's like, I want to I see you. He says, I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. As someone who has the spiritual gift of not remembering names, um, you know how important it is to remember someone's name. If you are seeking to be hospitable, would you remember their name? Would you remember who God has put in front of you? Would you approach them? And as they approach you, it is, I think it is very important and applicable if you're trying to be hospitable or trying to welcome someone, that you would remember their name. Because guess who does not forget your name? Guess who knows your name? Your specific name. He knows your situation. He knows the hairs on your head. And when we see each other face to face, it says in 2 John, there is some joy that comes present. And it says in Revelation 22: it says, And they shall see his face. That when we die and we face God, for those who are the believer in Christ, when you fate, come face-to-face with Jesus, John would say that in, in Revelation chapter 1, what's he do? He just gets right here. He just gets down. He just gets right here when he sees him face-to-face. He probably confesses some things. He acknowledges God for who he is and for what he's done for him. Isaiah, what's he do? He's face-down. When we approach God, we will be asked the question, have we had a personal encounter with him? And you'll have to ask yourself the question, do you, have you had a personal encounter with him? I'm not talking about one time when you're on a mission trip. I'm not talking about one time when you were at camp. I'm talking about a relationship with him. Because when you see his face, and I believe all of us will, that is all that will that is the only thing that we will give account for. Have, ha, do you know him and does he know you? A lot of us treat church like we treat a red light. Raise your hand here. Don't lie to me. I know we're at church, but just don't lie. How many of you have ran a red light intentionally? Not on accident, but you just ran that sucker. Raise your hand. My hand's up. All right, the rest of you holy rollers, like you guys got it. you going to heaven. So anyway, there's a red light out here. If you take a right out of Killian and you dead end it into Cleveland Avenue, when I first started driving, there's a signal on the the, the, con- the blacktop that's about as big as your ha- half a tire. It's like this big. And you got, it takes skill to get that sucker. Like you got to roll on it. You got to slow down. What do you guys do? You lean left. <coughs> left turn signal. Now. And it'll turn every time. And when I did that, I had ran that red light like ten times. And I was always like thinking like if the cops pull me over, I'll just tell them. Like I'll record myself. I don't care. But a lot of us treat church like we do that red light, where you've tried it before, it didn't go well, so you're never going to do it again. Or, another driving illustration for you drivers, if you turn left on this side on pickle and you go over that hill, what do they got up there? Man, I hate those stupid things. They got the, the speedometer. 35 is what you're supposed to go, right? And then it's got your speed limit below it. Now, I know there's some of you in here, you're like, I've always submitted to that, like in 35 And I know for me, what's it make me do? I'm like, bro, that don't do nothing. Like, all right, I'm driving 40. I get it. Like, thanks. Like, I pre- thanks, man. Um, and what's it do? For some of you, you'll slow down, and then you'll speed up again. It just, it doesn't change anything about the way you drive. What's it do? It changes the way you think about it when you drive past that area. I think a lot of us have done that with church. I think it changes the way you think about it when you're at 1424 Killian Road or you're in this room. You've changed the way maybe you think about God's people or Jesus in general when you're here, but it doesn't have really much effect on your life. It doesn't change your day-to-day. It doesn't change the way you think about God in your life. When you think about hospitality, I want you to think about a table that's set up for dinner and not the way that you would think it is. Think of Thanksgiving, you think of Christmas, these big meals, birthdays, there's a lot of significance behind it. Don't think of it set up as perfect. Because it never is, right? The cup's broken. Spilled the drinks. This is stained. The food's okay. This one's good. Don't like this drink. And who's at the table? Man, I don't even like them that much. I don't even want to sit by her. I don't want to sit by him. I don't want to do this. This is where I sit. Church is like a messy table. That always has a seat for you. There's always room for you. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That you will find rest for your soul. Jesus said this in Luke 5. He says in 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. It was Kerry Newhoff who said this, the problem with so many non-Christians isn't that they don't know any Christians, the challenge is they do. I think for, for some of you, you avoid maybe Christianity or a small group or things in general about church because you had an experience that you can't change the way you feel about it. Someone hurt you somewhere along the way. Someone broke your trust. Someone did something to you, and whenever you think about church, you can't get that feeling out of you, and it doesn't change the way it changes. You're not going to change the way you feel about it. It's just how you feel, and I'm here to tell you that that's not going to change. We're worse than you probably think. We're a little bit more messier. The church is not a place for perfect people. What? It's hospital for the broken, and how do we know that? Because we are here. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. So how's your soul this morning? God's heart for you is for your soul to be well, that you would walk with him and that you would have an encounter with him. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the book of 3 John. God, pray that you would minister to us through it. God, I pray that for those in this room that maybe hold back a little bit when they come to church because they've had a bad experience, I pray that you would encourage them this morning. God, that they would come to you and they would find freedom to forgive, maybe where they've been hurt. And God, also for those who don't walk with you because of people from church that they know, they treat it just like a a speeding signal that just changes the way they feel about it for a minute, but not them and their eternity. I pray that they would come to you. And God, for those in this room who would say, man, my soul is just not well. I'm struggling. This season of life is not where I want to be. It's not what I want to be doing, and it's not what I like to do. I pray that we would remember that our God is the most hospitable God, that we are welcomed as we are and with all our mistakes and mess-ups. God, we thank you for your grace in your name.